I do it to Nick. It makes him very uncomfortable. What do you do to Nick exactly since we came in at an awkward time? <laughs> I tell him to go write me a story and then I go go write me a story. Oh, okay, you just boss him around. So so nobody's shocked about that. All right. Hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans, it's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. We are the podcast that puts the fun in dysfunction. And as you can see, since it started before Doc was ready, she gives us as much crap before we get on air as she does during. So it's not special. It's just life with Doc. And we all love her for it. But uh, with that being said, today's episode is going to be a uh, fireside chat where a bunch of people with a lot of opinions sit around and pontificate about various topics. Uh, today, because uh, I can assume you can read the title of the, uh, the episode, we'll be talking about shared worlds. But first, we're going to let our guests introduce themselves to our listeners and viewers. So we're going to start with you, Mel. Can you tell us who you are? My name is Mel Todd. I'm the author of about 40 books. I have a bunch of stories and anthologies and a couple best-selling series that I'm writing more in. You can find me pretty much everywhere, and I do a lot of cons in the Southeast. In some circles, saying you're a con artist is a little different, but, um, you know, doing a lot of cons is okay, I guess. Just don't get arrested. Hey, you you're know too free what? For if, if, you know, if I get away with it, that's all that matters. All right. That's very true. That's very true. So uh, Michael J. Allen would be our next guest because I, I let the little Word document sorted by the alphabet because I can read. Right, Doc? We can read. But uh, Michael, can you introduce yourself sure. to our listeners and viewers? Sure. I am Michael J. Allen, uh, Star-Lord, Crackpot, USA Today bestselling author of science fiction and fantasy. Okay. And uh, Quincy J. Allen, they, um, you know, we never asked. Are you two related? You like brothers from another mother or something? We've chewed some of the same dirt, but we are not related by blood. <laughs> okay. So, uh, Quincy, can you introduce yourself? Yeah. Uh, my name is Quincy J. Allen. I'm a cross-genre author, which means I have ADHD when I get to the keyboard. Um, <laughs> I've written 10 novels, a whole slew of short fiction all over the place, fantasy, sci-fi, horror, steampunk, mystery, and most of those mixed together. Uh, you can find me on Facebook and my website and Amazon, and I'm getting back into the convention game uh, this year. Uh, I'll be a dragon. Got my pro status. Can't wait to see Seska and raise a glass. Um, and I'll probably be hitting a few more conventions. Sort of things have kind of changed in recent months, and so I'm looking forward to it. Outstanding. And last but not least, we've got Mr. Todd Fonestock. Uh, and I'm going to hope that was somewhere close to the right pronunciation. Then we're going to pretend I got it right and plow straight ahead. You know what? Not only can we pretend that you got it right, but you did get it right. That's exactly how you say it. It's Fauna Stock. So. Doc, mark your calendar. <laughs> I will. JR managed to get something right. <laughs> well, I'm Todd Fauna Stock. Ellen right twice. What's that? I got sorry, Ellen right I twice. JR said <laughs> Ellen right twice. <laughs> and yes he does um, so yeah so I'm Todd Fonestock I write mostly high fantasy I've got uh, several best selling series on Amazon uh, a couple of awards to my name and um, about 22 books in print 
Um, like I said, most of those, probably about 18 of them, are epic high fantasy, and then a few one-offs here and there. Time travel novel, a um, 1988 road trip coming-of-age modern myth story, which really doesn't fall into any category, but I love it still, just the same. That's Summer of the Fetch. And uh, and yeah, and I'm working with Quincy and a couple of other fine people on a shared world epic fantasy um, project, so... That's probably me in a nutshell for the moment. Yes. Nice t-shirt there, my friend. Yes. <laughs> oh, I didn't know there was a uniform for this episode. No, you so, have uh, so, since, since I, too, have written in, in Shared Worlds, uh, Doc is going to take over, and, and we're going to let her pretend she's the boss today. Oh, cool. There's <laughs> no pretending. I am the boss. No, no. Mel told me this morning uh, when we were preparing for this that I was definitely the boss. No. No, 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 no. She did not. She would tell you that the person who gets to be my boss is the person who cuts my paycheck. I'll double your pay. What's twice a zero? One second. I got an answer for this. Um, uh, are you going to make fun of my math again? Would I ever make fun of your math? Never. Yeah. I will just point out simple facts. All I got to say is public school math. You can't blame me. So, today we're going to talk about shared worlds and what that means, and we've brought together a whole bunch of great panelists for that. Uh, JR wrote this, like, wonderful, long description. I think by now people understand that Fireside Chats are kind of, we bring together a group of authors, we talk about a concept. Sometimes we bring together fans when we do, like, stuff about um, Nick zombie shows. And, um... Uh, <laughs> we can tell I love the zombie shows, can't we? Um, so, but getting into that, um, the topic today is shared worlds. And let's first kind of go around with what does it mean to be in a shared world? And then I'll eventually ask you guys which share what your experiences have been and what those IPs are that you've shared. So, um, a shared world, is it more than just a co-authored book or, cause traditionally that seems to be what it was, but with indie publishing, it's kind of expanded into this new frontier. You won't let Mel go first. I, I'll play uh, favorites. Mel gets to go first. Hey. That's just because I give her free booze. Don't feel bad. Um, you give okay. me meat, too. You give me the meat. I give you the meat. I'd have said that different. <laughs> I might have, too, Quincy. I might have, too. Look, I have a freezer full of really, really good grass-fed beef that she comes over and raids. I give her high-quality meat, not your quality meat. Oh! <laughs> that was yeah. a shot, too. My nose, is it bleeding? <laughs> I don't know if it was a zinger right there. <laughs> My hat is off uh, to you, clearly. <laughs> so a shared world is basically a world where, I, I mean, for me, I've worked in shared worlds, it seems like most of my life, since I was a long time, a table RPG playing, where you created the world as you go went, and everybody kind of agreed as to what the rules were and how you interacted with that world. It's been expanded for me, at least in fan fiction, where you agreed what rules were there and then how you broke them. Right now, I guess I've got two different series that I'm working on 
for their shared worlds. One of them is a co-authored series and the other is uh, a group of, uh, what do we have, eight other authors. We decided to design a world and we're just writing all of our stories in the world. And then some very, very long suffering editors <laughs> are reading all of our books to make sure that we aren't breaking things that each other did. But that for me is what a shared world is. It's deciding that everybody agrees the sky is purple and the sun is green. And the rest of it is what happens in your little part of that shared world. I'm so glad you didn't say blue and yellow. That made me very yeah. happy. That's boring. <laughs> so oh, wait, are, are you telling me the sky isn't purple and the sun isn't? Oh dear. I'll have to. We don't have a problem. All right. There's some chemistry there that's wrong. Um, <laughs> so, I would, I would does, say do you, that. Uh, I, does anybody I, have anything to add? Well, I would. Go ahead. I would say, for me, I would say that any a shared world requires people other than the IP creator, the intellectual property creator, writing into it. Because from my perspective, if it's a co-authored book in a co-authored universe, I wouldn't consider that a shared world. It's something they created together. For me, it becomes a shared world once other people other than the creators, the original founders of the, the world, get involved. That makes sense, but there's also there, there are different flavors when you're talking about a shared world. I mean, you Mel touched on a couple of them. I mean, you've got where it's two or more people who are working sort of equally. You've got and which like the the Elders Legacy stuff. That's where we rule by committee, which is an interesting dynamic. Um, you've got one where there's a, a, essentially the IP owner who's directing um, a subordinate. And when I did my work with Mark Allen Adelheit. It was very much that relationship. It was his IP. He brought me in. Um, and we did a lot of good work that way. But I took his marching orders. When I was working with Eikenberry, we were actually working in a shared world that wasn't his, the Four Horsemen universe. But we were working with his characters. So I'm, I sort of took marching orders from him. But that was more of a collaborative effort. So you've got all these different kinds of, of shared world dynamics. Yeah. That changes the flavor every time you do it, really. Yeah, I would say that the dynamic that you had more with Edelheit was probably more of the classic one that people think of, the one that's more familiar with Tradbub. Yes. Um, do you think indie publishing has made it so that this is a more doable shared world concept? Absolutely. This multiple rule by committee thing. Yeah, um, I, I, I absolutely think it does. Um, certainly the contracts are easier. Uh, and like with Eldros, there's actually, there hasn't been ego um, that's really come into it, at least not maybe a couple of times. But for the most part, it's been just the delight of sharing a universe. Um, nobody so beats your chili, Quincy. Pardon? I said nobody, nobody beats your chili. <laughs> So, um, I don't know. I think we broke Michael. Are you okay, Michael? I'm just trying not. I'm just trying to keep my lips together. <laughs> so, so do you have an opinion on what makes a shared world? Would you consider a co-authored 
book and universe a shared world or just co-authored as a separate entity? I, I'm actually leaning towards your definition. Uh, for co-authors, they're both IP holders. Um, for like Eldros or other rule by committees, everybody's an IP holder to a certain extent. I'm not sure how those contracts work for, for Quincy. Um, but, you know, those are two kinds of shared worlds. There, there's the ego-run shared world where one guy's in charge and everybody writes under it and does what they're, they're told. And, and then there's the, the co-created everything like, like Eldros or... Or even the Four Horsemen. Too, I would have said there one. were three or four types. What was that... The Four Horsemen is a lot like that. I mean, there's there's dozens of authors that have written in that, and and the way I mean, they actually kind of they actually own their short stories. They just can't write anything more without being part of the the, the platform. You know, that actually makes it an interesting way to look at it. Is simply how are the contracts laid out? So you're right. In the Blood War series that I write with Doug Burby. Our contract says we both own 50% of that IP. In this world that I'm working right now with a bunch of authors, the only contract was that we agreed to all support each other and run with it. So all of us own our individual IP. The only thing we're, quote, sharing is the concept of this world and a few yeah. NPCs that we have to agree not to break. But there is no contract with each other in how we write it. It just has to, you know, we had basic uh, things. It had to be uh, relatively clean, you know, no on-screen sex. It had to have a couple of the main NPCs that would float through all the books. And other than that, it was up to you. So yeah, that's no, like consistent branding. What? Yes. Consistent branding. So what basically you said is you guys agree to support, promote each other, and consistent branding. Mm-hmm. So does that mean it's published by the same publishing imprint or would you each indie, nope. indie publish it as well? We each indie published it. Now, one of the interesting things that they said that part of the agreement was is everybody had to get their covers from the same cover designer. And the cover designer basically said, this is how we're doing it. So even though your characters and names changed, if you look at the covers, you can tell they're absolutely a series, even though the author is different on every single book. You know, think of um, some of the big Western stuff. You would always know they were always within that Western series, even though there were multiple authors. That's literally what we're doing. And so it's very cohesive, but we yeah. all own our IPs. So yeah, do, you tie, do you tie them together on like the Amazon page as a series or yeah. how, how do the readers find that? It's all listed on Amazon page as a series, which was an act of God because Kindle is huh. not exactly helpful. In some aspects, but yeah, no, they're all listed. So, actually, I got a question there. Maybe this is the wrong place for it, but when it comes to different authors and different publishers, I wasn't aware that you could list those as sequential books in the same series. I mean, usually the series has to be associated with a, I thought, a single account, which nope. means that the no, oh, really? Okay, that's interesting. Todd, I mean, we're gonna have to. Keep, you, we're gonna talk to you later, Mel. I thought that was where the phrase look, "act of God" came into play. Yeah, no, it was an act of God. Um, if you go look up at my stuff on Amazon and look for my book "Puppet Master," you yeah. click, you will see that it is book like 
10 of 12 or something, and then you'll see them all listed. So it's a really interesting way to do a shared world in that you're collaborating with a bunch of people, but you don't have the contracts and you don't have to worry about what you do in the shared world as long as you don't basically break the D&D rules. Yeah. You know, wizard yeah. has to sleep each night and relearn his spells. Those are the rules. What spells you learn are up to you. Okay. That's pretty cool. I like that. Yeah, I wanted to touch on something that you had talked about, having the same designer uh, design all the covers, because we did something similar in Eldros, but also a little bit different. Like we had different illustrators do the picture on the front, but we've got a, well, actually I have it here. Well, yeah. So we've got, we've got this, this, the frame like, out the frame. Yeah. Is the exact same on every single book. Um, yeah. And, and that's uh, a great way to do it on that up there. And so like every single book might have a slightly different illustrator, but every single book has that, what we call a thoroughs. It's an archway. That's part of the whole, like, uh, history of the world. Um, and each book, you can see the little symbol on the bottom has, um, based on which continent it's on, has a different symbol uh, that represents that continent. So it, it helps the reader figure out which continent they're on, depending on which book they want to grab. Because oh, that's really a cool way to do it. Yeah. So we put, I, I, I thought it was cool too. Like the, the five of us that originally started it sort of like did a lot of brainstorming about how to make this accessible in the beginning. <laughs> we didn't succeed on every point, but I, I liked that one. That one actually worked. Well, I, I think <laughs> you just well hit on I think you just hit on one of the things that can be very overwhelming from a fan perspective, particularly if you're a fan who comes in later into the series, is you can get lost as a fan. Yeah. It's true. Yep. So um, and it sounds like you found definitely a way to address some of the uh, cognitive geography. Ooh, nice. That's a good word. Great. Good pair of words. So <laughs> up to a point we have, as far as the branding has worked, um, there has been some struggling with new things navigating where's the, where's the end point, right? Because we've literally got... The founders each have a series that are all going to are supposed to merge. We've got cohorts that work with each of the founders, and they'll have their own series that are generally ancillary to the main threads. But that's starting to get blurred. Um, and so yes. we have had a couple of folks even just ask the question, "Well, so where do I start?" And our, our default answer is, if you take a look on Amazon, it's start with book one, which is Todd's. And, and run with it from there, because it actually, the way this was architected, it, it seemed like a good starting point. Um, we, yeah, if I may, Quincy, yeah. to kind of add to that, like we, we did a, uh, a sort of a big reorganization at the beginning of the year, and um, it just happened, it just kind of shook out that my particular continent story had a little more content to it, and yep. we were kind of like, okay, let's, let's give them enough of like one story, because it, pretty much every story starts with a different group of characters, and you can read it like story one of Noxanon, story one of Daemonon, story one of Pyronon, those are the different continents. Um, but it, you will be starting over every time. So we were thinking, you know, it might be easier for the reader to have a good three book run before deciding to switch over. And so that's that was our latest idea at the beginning of the year was to organize it that so, way. So now, JR, you dealt with, you've co-authored with two different groups. So I wrote my first series in the uh, Tim Taylor Sleeping Legion universe. So I was writing characters that were sort of mentioned in passing and I took them and made them a thing. 
So I, okay. I played in his okay. in his universe, and then I wrote a novel in the Galaxy's Edge universe, which is also, uh, which also wasn't mine. So you know, as, as my understanding of what a shared world is, that would qualify. Um, I, I've co-authored some stuff Edge too. Is a, is a lot fewer. It's interesting because it, it came out around the same time as the Four, four Horsemen, but it's a lot fewer core authors, as the Four Horsemen put it. Yeah, I, I've written in the, um, in the Four Horsemen universe as well. I've written some short stories, although that's a lot easier to get away with because there's not as much details to keep right for very long. Um, so, you know, there's playing with their, their. Yeah, I just mean like it, it takes a lot more attention to detail to co author in an entire novel versus a short story, I think. I think you, you have to keep certain plots and certain universal truths straight longer. For a short story, it's you're in and you're out. So, you know, you only need a partial idea of that fits within the world to make it work. <laughs> Size doesn't matter in stories. Um, so I think I think that that does make a difference. You know, I, I would count the the novels I wrote, or in, in Tim's case, I wrote four novels, two novellas, and a short story in his universe, as opposed to just a short story. Uh, I will say that the Four Horsemen universe were very organized with their universe Bible. They gave me like 27 page document and said, as long as you don't break these rules, you're good. Um, I understand the Bible's probably a lot longer now because this was when they were on the first like five books. Yeah. Um, so they, I, they I, tightened I, the screws a bit. The I know the the races got a little bit, got kind of a little away from them a bit. I'm mean, not a problem. It was really cool. Everybody was contributing. Um, but it was, it became something they had to sort of get grab the reins on um, and lock down. But they've I will been say that, successful with it. Yeah. The one thing I think is important, though, no matter how you do your shared world, is you have to respect the source material because if you don't like what originally came first, it's going to show and the fans are going to hate it because they're reading yep. it because, you know, if you're a Star Wars fan and you're reading a Thrawn book, you're reading it because you love Star Wars. And if, uh, you know, Zahn hated Star Wars, it would show and the fans are. would... Go ahead, Doc. I think you just hit on what the key problem Disney had with some of the Star Wars movies. That's it exactly. They didn't respect the source material. And actually, if, as long as we're on the subject, Abrams had a history of that both with Star Trek and Star Wars. And, and some well, fandoms I mean, are Abrams are respects are Abrams, is my opinion. It is. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, uh, Mel. You were going to say something? Well, this so, how Star Wars is a great example of a shared universe. We know lots and lots and lots of people, and all of us in this chat know people who have written in the Star Wars universe across the board. And it's a great example of a shared universe and how it's easy to still find the, your own story to tell while still completely respecting the source material. Yeah, respecting because, the universe that it's in. Yeah. I mean, because that... I, I can tell you the very first Star Wars novella I read was Splinter of the Mind's Eye by Alan Dean Foster. Yep. And that was literally, I think, what started it for a lot of people was the idea of, wait, we can tell other stories outside of the original three. I'm so old. there's another there were only part of that with a shared universe. It's not just that the, the new creator has to respect the original IP. The original IP holder has to keep firm reins because I think part of what doomed the what is considered uh, extended canon or, or the non-canon stuff, the uh, what do they call it, the legends books, the the original stuff yeah, that now doesn't count. Yeah. Right. Legends. The reason they had to do that was because um, 
Lucas just said yes to so much and everybody wanted to hear about Han and Luke and Leia in the main group. So they had them in so many places that if you understood how the universe worked, he was here on Monday and, and there on Tuesday and there's no way he could have gotten there in between. And so they said yes to so much that then contradicted each other. So there is some responsibility on the person who owns the IP to manage it uh, true to their vision and not let it get away from them. Uh, and I think, you know, it's easy to get excited I'd agree with new with ideas. That. But there's, I think so if you look at the, the notion of, of success, the, the, the uber fans, the, the people who became scholars of Star Wars, those, those folks would absolutely pick out those. Wait a minute, there's no way they could be in those two places. There's no way, right? But what I think holds true is that, because I read all of those novels right up until the Yuzon Vong, which is where I sort of checked out. Um, but all of those novels that came up to that point you felt like you were in the Star Wars galaxy far, far away, right? And there, there wasn't, not that I'm aware of or that I recall, there wasn't one that felt out of place. The short stories, all of the novels, regardless of author, they did respect the source material. Now you're right that you do have need to have somebody sort of looking at the calendar, who's where, when, and that becomes important. Um, the variation becomes when you get someone who writes underneath that, that banner, but doesn't either ever read the other source material or simply ignores it. And I, I think that becomes the glaring difference. Yeah. It's for most people to see. Yeah, I can agree with that. So what how do you, you guys, when you're working? Hmm? I asked Michael. Wait, she, she was asking if you had an opinion. Uh, well, you guys are right. I mean, you can you can feel it as a reader when when the writer who's who's writing the tie-in isn't a, already a fan of the universe. Um, particularly when, like Quincy was saying, they're just phoning it in, um, and and it's difficult sometimes to, from the writer's perspective, at least my perspective, to to be able to keep up and read all of the canon that's gone before, so that I not only have the feel for it but that I know where not to, to step on toes. And, and that's why generally when I work in canon, I work in something that I already love because then I don't have to go back and read everything because I already know how it should be. I think though that's one of the main problems you do have with that really big shared universes. I'm a huge Star Trek fan. I've read Star Trek for years. We won't talk about the 50 Star Trek on my shelf. <laughs> But the problem only fifty. I have like two hundred. Yeah, no, I, I did actually finally get rid of a bunch of them simply because um I moved a lot in my twenties. My my friends, I had really good friends. I owe them lots because they moved lots of books. But the problem, I think, don't worry, you you'll pay it back. Early. You're gonna leave lots of books soon. Oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I will be. Um, is that? You have your uh, key characters that you love, Kirk, Spock, McCoy. And then you had the side characters, Uhura, Sulu, and Chekhov, and they were great, but they never changed. And after a while, I think that's one of the problems you get, is that even though they have this really great character arc in the story, the next person who writes the next book doesn't pay any attention because the characters aren't allowed to change. And after a while, it's right. boring. I, I want to see Kirk actually learn something. I want to see well, Picard learn stuff. I, I want to see change eventually. 
But I, I think that's why we get into trouble sometimes with a lot of the shared universes is that you can't let the characters change because then that breaks everybody else's stuff. And after a while, that's boring. The, the way Anne explained it to me for the Star Trek universe was that you could do what you wanted, but everybody had to start and end in the same spot. Exactly the same. Yep. It's great for one or two or three novels. You start doing 50 and you're like, dude, you've already made this mistake five times. You're supposed <laughs> to be smart. How come you don't know this yet? Don't sleep with alien women. It's not that hard. <laughs> Once you go green, you never go back. Is that a hard pass for all of us or just Kirk? I mean, I've met a few you Marines. That's not a hard fastball for everyone. <laughs> I don't know. Alien women don't do it for me. What about alien dudes? I mean, there's a whole genre of blue-chested uh, uh, alien romance novels. So I don't know. We should bring Erica on. We can debate that. <laughs> All right. We'll make that happen. All right. But uh, in the meantime. <laughs> okay. Wait. 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 Shush. In the meantime, we are going to cut to our commercial, which is brought to us by the majority of the authors on the show who have a story in that anthology. Oh. All right. Oh, wait, Stormy I know. Come on, JR. That was your cue. Awesome stories started by one kick ass meme. It started as a joke. Storm Area 51, they said. They can't stop all of us, they said. But all laughter has stopped when the U.S. Air Force mobilized and pulled out the big guns. However, relentless mockery and derision by the media and the powers that be pushed the dweebs and alien enthusiasts too far. What else were they supposed to do? They said why not and showed up, determined to find out what secrets were hidden behind the walls of the clandestine government facility. Are you brave enough to buy this anthology today? If you are... Find out what the government wants to keep hidden. Read Storming Area 51, a Bayonet Books anthology. Woohoo! Right Even, Even I have a story in that. Even I have a story in there. That was a fun anthology to write for, trying to make it I mean, semi-realistic but weird at the same time. Yeah, I just um, I regret that the FBI came and cock-blocked us because that could have been like – it could have been the Woodstock of our generation and then the, the anthology would still be selling. But no, the FBI showed up on some poor dude's door and now it stopped selling. I'm blaming them. You hear me, Mr. G-Man? We know what you did. The FBI – has been cock blocking many of people. I'm sure you can go stand in line with a group of other guys with that problem. Yeah, but most of them have it coming. <laughs> I know. Bear never did. Um, we're going to move right along, Doc, and get us back on track. We're talking about shared worlds and uh, not erotica. <laughs> Story for another time. So, but speaking of that, what is the appeal of the shared world? See? Erotic well, from a fan perspective or a writer perspective. Let's start with a fan perspective, because this is who our audience is. What? I get more stories. Yeah. So I think it's 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 going back home. Um, I mean, because you know, Mel, you you're absolutely right. You don't see a lot of change in the characters. Um, over the course of a lot of these novels, and Star Trek's a good example, Star Wars, um, a few others. 
but and I and I'll use this, and I don't mean this as a bad example. In in many respects, romance is the same way. In that romance, they're all very similar stories, but we we read them because we love that house. We want to go visit that house. It's like being able to show up as an old friend, and you recognize everybody there, and you know that it's going to be the ending you want. And so I think there's a there's a certain allure. Where from a writer's perspective, yeah, it's kind of goofy that the characters don't change. But from a reader's perspective, um, it is. It's going home. And I think that there's a real advantage to that. Uh, once you actually have a fan base, frankly, that's, I think, what they expect, at least up to a point. Um, certainly, been, Go ahead. There's been a lot of research on the fact that if uh, romance for example, that if you read about that first kiss, that first touch, that first intimate moment, you actually have the equivalent endorphins in your brain kick off that if it was happening to you. And so in many ways, it literally is a fix of feel good chemicals that hit your brain. And so when you do things with either romance or for me as a teenager and in my 20s, Star Trek, because I wanted to go find a new planet. I wanted that new adventure of having something good happen because that was one of the major things about most star trek novels is there was usually a good ending or reading a lot of the tsr novels that i have up there you know the good guys are going to win because i wanted that endorphin kit and as a fan it's awesome especially when you find an author you like who leads you into other authors that they're doing that same world but i'm still going to keep getting that endorphin kit that i crave it's a drug. We know it's a drug, but it's a legal one. <laughs> there were neuro studies done, neuro and um, psychological studies done in the last five years that show like people will, it started first with TV and they were like, oh, look, you know, it's actually relaxing, even if it's a horror movie, if it's one that you've seen multiple times. And then, uh, and then they were like, oh, look, the same thing applies to books, to which I was like, no, no, really? Come on. Books were, <laughs> books existed longer than movies for a reason. Don't yeah, get me I, in. There's, an, there's, another aspect. there's another aspect for the, the shared worlds that are not like Star Trek, where it's all about the main characters. And that's the scavenger hunt that readers get to go on. Because if you're in a big universe, you're going to see some of the main characters from, from Todd's story, as an example, completely. Maybe they're going to show up in Quincy's. And you get, to, you get to spot your favorites. And maybe they're being clandestine, or maybe they're being blatant. But in it's fact, the, oh my god, that's my favorite character. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, yeah I was actually going to touch on almost exactly the same thing, Michael. I think that's that's extremely astute. Like One of the things that we play with a lot in Eldros is actually having cameo appearances from main characters from one storyline into uh, a different storyline. And I, I mean, I know as a reader and I suspect other readers just get such a kick out of that. Like, you know, they're, they're reading about Relin, which is one of Quincy's characters and going on his adventure. And all of a sudden for one brief, you know, four paragraph moment, Kyvan the Unkillable shows up, you know, it's like, Oh, cool. It's, you know, Brad Pitt showed up in this movie, you know, that wasn't about Brad Pitt. You know I mean? Like that kind of thing, I think really gets people's. Uh, well, and then the readers are like, Hey, did, did you spot so-and-so? No, yeah. man, I didn't. But 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 I did spot this person. Oh, really? Oh, man, I missed it. And like I said, it's it's like it's almost like collecting cards. Easter eggs. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Easter eggs. 
Yeah, I know for me, when I was growing up, the reason that I would get into I loved Dragonlance, and uh, I re read a little bit of Forgotten Realms, and I just, I, like, I would get into two things. One, the world was really important. I mean, I love the characters, but going back to the world where there were these types of dragons and that type of lore and all that stuff, it felt like kind of coming home. It felt that, like this familiar ground that I wanted to come back to. Um, and then also, like... I, I found myself developing a taste for different writers' styles. You know, there were some writers in Dragonlance that I did not like. And, you know, but then every time there was like a Margaret Weiss book or something like that, I'm like, oh gosh, I got to read that one. You know, that's so, I mean, I think it helped develop taste, uh, my taste as well in reading. Well, and it's not just the characters, it's it's the set pieces, the Inn at the Last Home. Yeah. We all yeah. loved going back to the Inn at the Last Home. Yep. Yep. Even after they blasted it out of the tree, you know. <laughs> Wait, is that not my fault? <laughs> yeah, sorry, spoiler. Not this Man, you ruined it for me. <laughs> Forty years down the road, a bit of a spoiler there. <laughs> I did not blow it up. Let the record show. <laughs> I get blamed for nothing. Explosions. I'm just saying but that was what her lawyer told her to say. It's been, but, it's been um, 40 years and I still love playing Kinders because they were just awesome. Yes. Because Kinders are perfection. So do you think there's any downside or dangers of, of a shared world, both from a reader or a writer's perspective? Oh, sure. Some writers suck. <laughs> Damn! Give it to me straight. Oh, oh my goodness. Everybody, my best friend. <laughs> God love well, you. I bet people never right. wonder why now. <laughs> and, and, and that isn't necessarily true. Because like um well, some Chelsea Quinn Yarbo. I have met her. She is absolutely wonderful. She is a fascinating woman. She has done so much for sci-fi. I cannot stand her writing voice. She has some of the most fascinating plots i cannot stand her writing voice and i do not know why i need to go back and try again because i've tried multiple times over like 30 40 years you're gonna um, get yourself grounded <laughs> yeah well uh, it, i might well, know a con she's nothing. going to as a guest of honor you're gonna get yourself in trouble I, well like i said i met her and i love her i there is something about her writing voice that i can't get into and it has nothing to do with her and it's not necessarily a bad thing but all of us as readers run into certain authors that we just don't click with. And we yeah. can't always even tell you why, because we're going, we like the story. We like the characters. Just you put it down and you don't want to pick it up and you can't tell why. But that's also one of the biggest advantages of the shared world. It's like Todd said, you get to try these other authors that maybe you would not have picked up. And yeah, some of them you may go, eh, they aren't for me. I'm not interested. And others you're going to go, Oh my gosh, I I love this person's voice. What else have they written? And that gets you sales on your other stuff, which makes my uh, insurance company very very happy because then I can pay them. <laughs> well, and that that's the neat thing that we've run into. I, I recently was over the a cruise in December. I actually read all of the books I hadn't read so far in our series, and the one thing that occurred to me was that there were there was a distinct style for pretty much every writer no two were the same they were different voices and I, it occurred to me that we are going to have fans 
who absolutely don't like one voice. I mean, they may not like my stuff, but they love Todd's. They may not like Marie's stuff, but they love mine. Um, and I think that as, you know, as one of the IP owners, I think you have to not only accept that, but embrace it. Um, is that, you know, it, it's a shared IP ultimately should, if you have enough people involved, have something for just about everybody, at least in that genre. Um, so it, it kind of works in your favor. Um, we've actually been talking recently about how to actually uh, list the books in Amazon, what keywords and where to target. And we've decided we're getting more granular. Uh, Marie's stuff leans a little more towards horror and gothic. So we're going to sort of target that side of things. Todd's Which is, is so weird because she's such a sweet, bubbly person. I know, right? She's the nicest person. Um, that, that's why you should be afraid of the, the pretty happy people. <laughs> some of the some of the horror elements that she can come up with just make you shiver. She's she, yeah, she's got a dark side. <laughs> yeah, she can she can throw the ick in there for sure. Absolutely. Um, so we you know my stuff's got uh, mystery. Todd has the sword and sorcery. Um, it, it, it's important, I think, for an IP if you're really going to blow it up to have all, to have all of it, right? Shoot for that, but then actually learn how to manage it. That's the real trick. Yeah, I, just, I was going to say, just to kind of put some context to, so we've got four founders in Eldros. So those are the people that essentially uh, manage what the, what happens in the Bible. Like everybody Steer else. The gets, ship. I'm sorry. What's that? Steer the ship. Steer the yes. ship. Steer the ship, creatively speaking, and then of course, you know, logistically speaking as well. But just to kind of like what what uh, Mel was talking about earlier about the rules of the of the world, we're the ones that establish that and or ratify something if somebody else comes up with something really really cool, which we are yeah. always open to. And then we've got about a dozen what we call cohort authors. So I mean, all told, we got about sixteen people writing in this world doing their various, various stories. Um, so it's, 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 a, it's a decent size at this point, probably not the largest out there by a long shot, but still quite a few people. Well, I, know... I guess one of the questions that comes up is, let's say somebody does something that quote, breaks the rules, but it really works. Hmm. Have you figured out how to go back and either give them a pass or say, well, it used to be this way, but it isn't this way anymore? Yes. Yes, we've, we've run into that a couple of times and kind of my whole stance on it is if you break the world, you have to come up with a really good reason why. And it's a one time thing, you know, it's like this, this shifted here. And like, I mean, so that, so that kind of like what you were saying before about, you know, you can start with Kirk and Spock here and you can go through all this stuff, but at the end, they got to come back to where they were before. Um, one of the things that I told one of my cohorts when she had this this creature called the World Breaker, um, and I was like, it's cool if you've got a character or a creature or a monster that's going to end the world, as long as they don't. <laughs> like, like they can have the capacity to do it, so you can like run right up to the cliff, but you can't go jumping over because, of course, we still need the world for everybody else, right? Um, so that Details. I think that's kind of, what's that? Details. Next thing you yes. know, you're going to say people want to live. <laughs> well, there's well, that. Are you doing anything like, let's say, your character does something impressive, causes a a dormant volcano to erupt and blow its top? Are you letting then other authors down the road go from that point forward, saying, "Hey, this massive landscape thing has changed. This rule in the world has changed. You can now play with this." Or are you guys well, always your world static? 
Yeah, we are. In fact, we have uh, we meetings with the cohorts every two weeks. The founders work with their cohorts on their continents. And as a good example, um, in so Jamie Ibsen is working on his second book. He's writing in my continent. And I basically he's got a whole race of people that I let him run with. They're invading my kingdom, which I said from the get go. I want to wreck Pelennon. That's the name of the kingdom. I thought it was cool. Right. Yeah. So I'm going to wreck the whole thing. I want to destroy my kingdom. Who wants the job? And Jamie's like, I'll do it. I'll do it. Right. Yeah. He was like first in line. I met Jamie and I could see him doing it with his sweet Canadian smile. Oh, yeah. He's so polite. Covered in maple syrup. So then Todd writes, uh, has an idea for his, it's in your third book, dealing with vampires. So Ren the Traveler deals with vampires. And, and it occurred to me that, okay, I want to have these vampires escape. And when they do, um, they're literally going to invade and they're going to have to, they're going to raise a city, an entire seaport. And in Jamie's second or third, it'll be a second book. His characters will actually see this city burning across a river and Haley's character. And then she hasn't, she's only like her book isn't published yet, but in her second book, that character is going to actually end up in this city during these events. So we're actually being very careful. And See, I find that much more interesting than the whole reset it back to the beginning each time. Yeah, we are interweaving this and we're doing like essentially what Marvel did. I mean, to be honest, we, we tried to Marvel this project on what Marvel did with the cinematic universe leading up to Endgame. Is you have Civil all these different... I don't care. It's so <laughs> <laughs> Only if you read the I original comic book. I mean, like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that that uh, it does require that we keep pretty meticulous track of the timeline. Like, if somebody says I want to write a book, we got to say when do you want to write it? Because, like, uh, you know, with that example with the volcano, it's like in this particular book, there's a volcano here, and in this particular book, there's a big, huge crater in the ground. So, you know, I mean, like things like that, as well as with the, uh, you know, with the main characters. Um, but, but I think, I mean, the kind of the cool thing is, is that, like Quincy was saying, the founders meet regularly, like a lot. And, um, and so if there's something going on with the meta plot, and we are, we have established from the very beginning, we are the rulers of the meta plot. Like this, yeah. this big thing that's going to, this cataclysm is going to happen at the end of book five or six, or whenever we decide to do it for each of our, our storylines, uh, respectively. Um, the, the cohort authors can, can choose to be a part of the meta plot in as large or as tiny a way as they want to. Like they could go and just take a chunk of the kingdom way off over here and never have to touch the meta plot whatsoever, which gives them a lot more freedom with their story. But if they want to be part of the meta plot and those, you know, sort of uh, main characters, the Brad Pitt storyline or whatever it is, um, then they have to communicate a lot with us just to make sure. And honestly, you would think that it would be, or at least I would have thought that it would have been a lot of like butting heads. It's like, oh, well, I want to do this. And well, you can't do that. And it really has not been in the creative no. aspect. It has not been at all. It's everybody's just been, you know, oh, well, you can't do this because this volcano blew this up. It's like, oh, really? Oh, I can work that into my story. I could have somebody who's like a lava walker. I mean, like they just get really excited. I'm about it, And it's been a joy. Todd, having met all your co-authors, I think, in person, Quincy can correct me if I'm wrong, because he's probably been there when I've met most of them. I think, I think some of that is... Certainly the founders. Of the founders, yeah. I think you got exceptionally lucky because you have an exceptionally good group of people that you're working with. It fits really well together. It really does. I mean, like, we all complement each other in our, 
Yeah. <laughs> oh, that includes Quincy? Never mind. Then yeah, includes- Quincy's like, oh, yeah, we did. Like, he's not one of those exceptionally nice, genuine people. <laughs> well, truth be told, it depends on who you ask. I don't ask. I know you. I don't no. need to ask. I've seen the evidence. Well, you Quincy got the real me. Yeah, Quincy was one of the wonderfully genuine surprises uh, coming into Eldros where we just, he and I clicked like pretty yeah. quickly, pretty, pretty early on. And we just really enjoy, I mean, like I probably brainstorm more with Quincy. I, I think mean, we clearly- could probably do an entire behind the scenes episode with you guys. <laughs> All right. Bring it on. Bring it on. <laughs> But yeah, okay. careful, guys. She's gonna want that maple syrup again. <laughs> <laughs> the last time we got into everything, it was it was bad. You know, you can it's actually a- wash keyboards in a in a dishwasher. You know that, right? <laughs> I don't know. I use a laptop, so my keyboard is attached. <laughs> and um, we're not going to take it anywhere near a dishwasher. So, but um, kind of just. We're, we're hitting the end of almost an, an hour here. Clearly, there is so much more we could talk about. And if you are a fan watching, please comment with more questions. And we can do another one. We can even bring back the same four people because I know how to convince them to do things. <laughs> I love how everybody's nodding their head that's seen me in person. Yep. I can't say no to you. So... What shared world is this? Oh, you're so sweet. So um, what is your, before we go, our last question is going to be, I'm going to give you guys all a chance to shout out the shared worlds that you've worked in and where you are. But what is your, either your first or your favorite shared world? And we're going to start with Michael J. Allen, because he's been quiet. And so I'm going to throw him under the bus or in front of the firing line. Trying to be respectful. Um, favorite in general. Either you get to answer whichever one. Uh, of the four I've written in, I'm gonna say Starflight was my favorite because Starflight was the game back in the 80s that inspired me to become a writer. Um, but at the same time, I'm in the middle of building two of my worlds into shared worlds. So they're probably gonna take over from Starflight. That is going to be an interesting process. And I want to bring people in so that we can do some stuff episodes on like how that develops. See, this is what happens when you get me at night after I haven't slept. You know, you guys, you guys did a a panel with me about crossways. Well, there's been a big push from the readers. So we're looking at opening up the the Wayman Chronicles world, which is like 11 universes to start with. Um, And then of course I've got some, some collaborative requests for the the binary online sci-fi lit RPG trilogies, so wow. yeah, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to build the Bibles the right way to, to <laughs> do to do open world. When you figure that out, share it, please, because that's going to be the worst part of world creating is figuring out a coherent way to record it. Yeah, and then well, really I'm, a Bible I, for eleven universes. Holy shnikes! <laughs> well, I'm I'm is- using a I'm using a program service called World Anvil, which allows me yeah. to put timeline worlds. Yeah. So that I can I can have a book series and I can all the descriptions at a specific timeline, and then another timeline with new descriptions that, that allows me to adapt the world to volcanoes and whatnot. 
not that I have a volcano that I'm thinking about, but but in general. So um, it's been a great resource. And of course, I've got readers in there helping me build. But until it's ready, you know, it's still private. Yeah. That's cool. It's a huge project. I'm impressed, man. He's always up to something. How about you, Todd? Uh, I got to go with Eldros Legacy right now. Now, I don't think I've worked in as many shared worlds as the rest of the people here, but um, I, I did uh, the Hearthstone trilogy, and that was pretty much just a co-author situation. So, I mean, we were sharing the world, but it's nothing like the project that we're working on with Eldros Legacy. And I just, there's so much like blue sky above us uh, that we can go and explore and it just kind of keeps getting bigger and bigger. So that's my, that's my favorite right now. Um, but again, I, I don't have as many to choose from. So it was pretty easy, easy call for me. What about you, Quincy? Uh, first wrote in actually the outlander, um, which was a, it was a, a, the character created by the Aradio brothers first appeared in uh, heavy metal magazine uh, back in like 2003. Uh, and I got to write a novel for them in their world, which was a really neat process that was published by word fire. They have the rights back. We're going to probably re-release it. I got to talk to them about that. My favorite has to be um, Eldros legacy uh, just because I've had so much input on the shaping of the world but I, I as a close second i guess i'd have to say working with edelheit in his last wars universe the, the tovak series with reclaiming honor um that was a really neat process and i love those books um i mean as far as writing those are probably three of the best i've written um but you know he had a lot of input um but it's hard to say it is but ultimately First pick is going to be Eldros no matter what, just because we're, we're doing so much with it. How about you, JR? And then we'll go to my best friend. So I guess for me, it would have to be the, the Sleeping Legion universe because it was the first uh, nonfiction that I'd written intentionally so. Um, and before I wrote the books that I wrote in the, in the series uh, in that universe, I was actually just an Uber fan. When I first uh, got back from Iraq, I couldn't read because it hurt my head. And that's where I found the Kindle and you could magnify it. So his was one of the first books I found when I was able to read again. Um, and so I ended up working with a guy named Hans, who's sadly uh, no longer with us, but we actually wrote the world Bible from the books in an attempt to make the wiki page uh, for that universe. And so let me tell you, that was a, a lot involved in that. And wiki pages are a lot harder to manage than I thought if you're computer dumb, but it was fun to write in it because like, Tim Wait, is not a veteran. Yeah, I know you're shocked. Uh, Tim isn't a veteran, so some of the, that too. Uh, some of the things that he got wrong were, you know, just like I use this example. He didn't realize that to the to the grunt that carries the rifle. Yes, they all might look the same, but this one is mine, and it's slightly different enough with the imperfections and the wear and tear that it, that it's mine. And so I was able to incorporate some of that in there. We found some issues where he changed what they like the the nomenclature for various items, and I was able to give him within the parlance of military logic, which is very illogical most of the time, uh, justification in his own universe for why it happened. And then I wrote stuff in, so it was a lot of fun playing in the world and, and helping shape it while being taught, you know, some of the craft in general. So for me, I guess because it was first, it was you know favorite. I really am proud of the reservist, which was. 
in the Galaxy's Edge universe, but I don't know. I feel like taking learning how to write academic papers that I did as a historian and turn them into novels people actually want to read, which I did for Tim, was such a fun learning experience that, that that's going to hold a special place in my heart. How about now we're back to the fit my favorite because I am biased. No. <laughs> I have to say it's been a very interesting learning experience writing in this shared world just in how it works and the fact that we have so many people involved that are at different stages in their career. And that's been one of the really, like uh, some of the people I'm writing with are Sarah Noski and Jamie Davis. I think both of them have over a hundred books. Their names are multiple bestsellers, everything else. So it's been really interesting because we also have a couple people who are writing their first book or their second book. And that's just been an interesting way to see how different processes work. All in all, my biggest issue is I can't write as fast as I want to write. I have like 5,000 books to write. and Apparently my butt doesn't like sitting in a chair that many hours a day. I can't understand why. <laughs> well, So, Doc, I'm going to bring this home for us because we are at the hour mark. And uh, when I started planning this episode and then, you know, Doc took over, cause that's what Doc does. Uh, we had mentioned um, specifically Todd, um, Noxonson. I don't know what that's supposed to be, Todd. Are you messing with me? Noxonon. That's the continent. That's continent. This, this he named himself after a continent tonight. <laughs> oh. Well, I was just matching Quincy. Quincy threw up Damon on, so, you know, I had to let my uh, flag colors fly. So, well, he had to All do right, that but... because otherwise, he and Michael sound like siblings. Oh, he's turning. He's turning <laughs> it around. Oh man. Okay. Okay. It's on. Oh, it's hold, on. hold on. Hold on. <laughs> you guys are solo. Okay. Now, now I've got you on the wait, screen. Now, show people. Wait, hold on. Wait, wait. How do you do it? How's that? Ah. Team Damon on. Cool. Oh, wait. <laughs> Okay, now Todd. <laughs> All right, Todd. Hold on. Hold on, well, Todd. Todd, Todd you got to wait for me to get you on. Okay. Todd, you got to give me a second to get you there on the screen. Is. Oh, that's pretty cool. And uh, to your left, your right, your other left. Doc. <laughs> there you go. Doc, I don't know why it's not. Doc, don't touch anything. You're breaking it. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> I would do it, and then Doc it. would try to do it at the same That's time. Really just, cool. Oh. Okay, am I done? <laughs> yes, you're done. I don't need to see your back anymore. All right, so Todd oh had mentioned. Gosh. I'm just um, wondering he, how much time, like, Quincy's butt and my butt were in the camera. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying that's why Doc was doing it that way, but I'm not, not saying it either. All right? Maple syrup. <laughs> Oh, so she wants butts and maybe you know what? Not that kind of podcast. We're going to move right along. So, uh, Todd, Jared, you you're not equipped that for that. Probably not. I'd need a lot more therapy for that. Uh, so, one of the things Todd, when he reached out and we were doing the prep for the show, is he'd like to give some of the listeners that stuck through it. And, and yes, we realized that there were some tech issues. Uh, Doc and I are both working very hard to fix our signal issues. So, hopefully, it'll be a lot clearer going forward. Um, we have a, a um, determine what the problem is and so we've got solutions but todd you had mentioned you wanted to do some i mean doc you're just you got issues i'm just saying right like we all know this 
So, so Todd wanted to give some giveaway. So Todd, can you tell us uh, so what you were thinking? And yeah, um, yeah. Well, um, I got have to give credit to my assistant. She's like, do you want to give away some books while you're in this podcast? Do they want you to give away some books? I'm like, yeah, let's do it. So she worked up this, this thing. So yeah. Um, uh, anybody who uh, is interested in starting the Eldros legacy, the, the uh, multi-author shared world mega epic fantasy that we're all writing. And I think I mentioned how many people are actually me, writing it. Me, I want it, I want it. <laughs> <laughs> well, just email me at Todd, period, don't forget the period, faunastock at gmail.com. Um, it's right there. So, you know, take a screenshot of the of the screen and then just email me and just say um, uh, Blasters and Blades uh, giveaway. And uh, if you're one of the first three people to email me, then we'll send you uh, a free ebook. Or rather, I should say, by we, I mean Becca will probably send you. A... <laughs> I can okay. Test. And next we've got uh, Michael J. Allen, who was also going to be some giveaway. So uh, if you wanted to, to speak on what you were thinking, Michael, and I'll zoom this in. So yeah, well, your well, first off, scribbles. So, so Todd started the ball off. Um, and I love giving away books. And I, and I figured that uh, everybody here is going to be giving away part of their shared universe, which means that the readers are going to have to wait. So I decided to go with the first book in my my um, my completed pentology. Um, that I way like they, the, they not only can read. Thank you, Doc. So, yeah, uh, the first three that email me at scribbler at deliriousscribbles.com. Come chat with me a little bit. The email, the blind guy's a little lonely. Um, I'll give away. <laughs> I mean, I showed up at your house and you called the cops. So clearly you're not that lonely. <laughs> well, I there the are cops. levels of lonely. JR, that's genius. Uh, He's lonely, right. just not that lonely. Or it could have been the smell. <laughs> well, it could have Can been the sound of the distinctly buckle. of infantry, JR. That's the one. There you go. There we go. Quincy, I want to get the one yeah, with your little. So, Oh. I'm actually going to give away a trade paperback of the first book in my portion of Eldros Legacy. It's called Seeds of Dominion. Book two should be out this summer. Um, and I'm also going to give away with that. So it'll be an autographed copy. Plus, uh, we do challenge coins for each of the continents. So I'll send you one of those. You can see both sides there. Uh, it's bit.ly uh, forward slash fistful of silver. That's where you'll actually have to, you got to put your email in there. You'll get a free short story for it, which is actually Relin's first story. That's where it all starts is with that short story. Uh, the QR code should work too. So uh, once I get those emails, I will reach out to you and get your address. And I promise not to stalk you. Um, yeah, and then I'll, uh, I'll send you the, the autograph that? copy. What? Where's the fun in that? I need a little extra. Oh, Sorry. E emails only, Quincy, because you give an address, the R shows up at your door. <laughs> <laughs> it's too late, man. Now it's done. Man, I screwed it up again. So I wanted to give a little extra boost to what Quincy's offering here. That challenge coin, like there were only 100 made of those. And as far as I can tell, like Quincy may only have like 50 of them left. So those are collector's items. The first run of 
uh, the uh, the collector's coins for Elder's Legacy. So that's really freaking cool. I didn't do that with mine because I only have four left. So get get Quincy's while you can. They're not going to be around forever. And Seska, you get a free one. Yay! I love. <laughs> I'll have them with me at Dragon Con, and there's a you and Jr. and a few other folks will get one. You know what, Seska? Yeah. I'll make sure you get a Noxanon one as well, because I can't have Quincy outdoing me when it comes to that. So he'll probably be the one that delivers it to you. <laughs> okay. And last but not least, we've got the lovely Mel Todd. Oh, let me get the junk off the bottom real quick. So uh, <laughs> what what were you thinking, Mel? Um, Go ahead and send me an email. For three people, send me an email at sales at badashpublishing.com. I will send you book one of my Caleb Chronicles. It's a completed series. There are five novels and four novellas that are wide. But if you say, hey, I want to try this, I'll send you book one for free. Cool. It's hard to beat. Free books is good. Hard to beat. So uh, as we bring this to a close, I guess I can offer some... Um, free e-copies of the book that started the universe I wrote in. So I have some codes that I can give you for copy of Legionnaire, which I didn't write though, which is by Jason Onsbach and Nicole. Uh, if you want to try that universe. Um, and as we do that, we have, uh, if we can get all of you guys and we'll go in order as you appear on the screen, how they can reach out to you. And as usual, all of that will be in the show notes, but uh, Mel, can you tell us how they can find you? Uh, you can find me at www.badashbooks or Badash Publishing. They both do the same place. I'm on Facebook as Badash Books, Instagram. I might be playing around with TikTok, but unless you're really, really into book talk, it's probably not worth the effort. Um, and I have got a ton of cons this year. So if you go to my website, you will get my newsletter, which is a free short story in it every time I send it, which is twice a month. And you will find out all of the places I'm going to be this year, including Greece. Oh, cool. I'm jealous. I can't wait. Two weeks in Greece. One week on a boat. Babysit. <laughs> get her a t-shirt. I want yarn. Okay. Um, so we know the price at which Doc can be bought. Yarn. Uh, Quincy, <laughs> can you tell listeners and readers uh, and viewers how they can find you on the Wild Wild Interwebs? Yeah, uh, best place right now is going to be QuincyAllen.com. That's my website. There's a newsletter. Sign up for that. It's got my books listed, the whole series, everything, all the all the crap I've written. Also, Amazon and my author page. That is got everything. Yeah, that's got everything. Um, and that's pretty much it. Those two. That's where I focused. I kind of pulled back from all the other social media because I'm old and I couldn't take it anymore. Fair. And, and uh, I just want you to know, we just got a call from our lawyers and we are contractually obligated to tell you his books are not crap. His publisher will deal with him later. Um, but but yeah, they're, they're good. We promise. Uh, oh, thank Todd. you. Well, you know, lawyers scare me. So, uh, Todd, can Where? you tell listeners? Very easily. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, Todd, can, well, we've already had to deal with lawyers when we did our rebranding because we apparently stepped oh, yeah. on there some. Is that, um, moment. that moment. That moment. We stepped on some IP that we didn't know was dormant, but they were still protecting uh, with certain walking tanks. And that's all I can say. But Todd, <laughs> can you tell uh, yes. listeners and viewers? Yeah, once again, uh, I figured out how to change my name thing. So I've been copying everybody who's been doing cool things. This time I copied Mel uh, by putting my website right there. That's where you can find me, toddfonestock.com. So 
That'll that'll give you everything that I do. Damn it, you outdid me. <laughs> okay, and uh, Michael J. <laughs> Allen, where? Go ahead. Michael, where can they find you on the internet? Nothing. Well, uh, Seska, did you want to finish? <laughs> no I'm kidding. So, I think you've been going on. All right. So, so, so they can, you guys can find me on my website. Yeah. Huh? Mm-hmm. You can find me at my, my currently broken, but I'm too blind to fix website, deliriousscribbles.com. Um, also in the show notes, there should be a link to my Discord server where I am spending a good amount of time. Um, and you can get that same link off the website. While I've got the floor, I'd like to say that I want the next Blood Wars book, Quincy, just just the record, and the next I, Luck book, Mel. <laughs> I promise it, it's it's on the list. I swear to God. <laughs> I'm at eighty thousand words. Does that help? It does help. Yes, and I know yeah. you guys. Well, somebody's waiting for sequels for me too, so I understand. Wow. I was going to say, uh, Faded Luck will be out on audio probably end of this month, early next month. Oh, Faded Luck's really good. Oh, and I, and I finally and got another new for the uh, Ashes of Raging Water, so I'm hoping to have that out here soon. Nice. So, uh, and as usual, you can find me on all the places. It's J.R. Handley, uh, the letters. It's really easy to spell, I promise. Uh, and this is the part of the interview where we remind you to please be kind and speak your mind on the reviewing platforms. Your reviews help the right readers find the right books. So do your part, people. And on uh, that note, you can find us as a podcast on the interwebs. I promise we there, we're there. We answer emails. All hate mail can go to DocSeska at BlastersAndBladesPodcast.com. But for the rest of the good stuff, um, you can find us on Twitter at Twitter.com backslash SF underscore fantasy underscore show. Sierra Foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show. You can email us at blastersandbladespodcast at gmail.com. Again, blastersandbladespodcast at gmail.com. Remember, all hate mail is directed to Seska. You can find us on the Facebook group where all the shenanigans happen at facebook.com backslash groups backslash blasters and blades podcast. Again, backslash groups backslash blasters and blades podcast. You can find us on our website anchor.fm backslash blasters dash and dash blades again anchor.fm backslash blasters tech and tech blades where for as little as 99 cents a month you can help keep the lights on these podcasts don't pay for themselves or you can support the show more directly over at buymeacoffee.com backslash author jr handley again buymeacoffee.com backslash author jr handley be sure to put in the comment section that it is for the podcast and i promise i will keep my co-hosts doc seska and nick garber duly intoxicated because after tonight's interview they need booze people uh they will drink though until their liver surrenders (laughs) and doc's facial expression says it all she's not a quitter Never surrender. <laughs> All right, Doc, bring us home. I mean, I can go with more. I have more army slogans. I can go with death before dismount. I mean, they were all that, guns. You know what? I'm going to shut my mouth before I get in trouble. And Go on, Doc. Bring us home. I'm not going to go with my platoon motto after that one. So thank you.
you for spending some of our precious time, your precious time with us. For the absentee Nick, one day we promise we'll let him out of the closet. And J.R. Handley, I'm Doc Seska. This was the Blasters and Blaze podcast. We'll be back next week. Same time, same place, enjoying our love. Nerd culture, cheesy jokes, of course, picking on JR because who doesn't like that? And pineapple on pizza. Harris.